Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is a guitarist and songwriter hailing all the way from Ottawa in Canada. His name is Chris Evand. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm well, Christian. Thanks for having me and I appreciate this. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, man. It's always always enjoyable having a Canadian on my show because oh, nice. I don't know what it is about you people, but you're just you're always very pleasant. And so, yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you, man. Thank you. That's nah, a real joy, man. Um, let's let's just look, let's jump straight into it. I, I want to know where your musical journey starts. Catch us up. Talk us through your journey as a musician. From the beginning, you mean? From the very beginning. From the very beginning, yeah. Well, my uh, I was lucky enough to uh, have a family that was into music. So uh, my grandfather was a, an incredible piano player, and he was a piano tuner uh, professionally. So as a young child going over to his house, I would see four or five pianos ripped apart, upright, a little grand in his back room. And um, right from an early age, I got to listen to this beautiful, you know, these, these sounds coming out of these big pieces of wood and it just, it was magical at that age. And as I got older and into music, that's what started it. Um, but then what really got me into things was one year I had a Walkman back in the day, the yellow waterproof Sony, uh, Walkman. And, uh, it was 1986. Uh, my grandfather walked into a music store and asked for whatever the number one selling album was that year. He wanted to get me a cassette to put in the Walkman. And luckily that year it was Van Halen, uh, 5150. Uh. Right? It could have been anything during that uh, genre there, right? Or that era. It was Van Halen, so I got the one tape, played it frontwards, backwards, frontwards, backwards, just flipped that thing, ran out of batteries, continued to do so. And then uh, every time the guitar solo came, I just got chills. It just got inside me. I was like, what is that sound? All the dive bombs. And I didn't know what they were at the time. It was just all this flurry of notes. But I felt the energy behind the notes, too. And it got me very interested in uh, what that was. And my grandfather told me it was a guitar. So soon after, I got myself a summer job, a uh, farm job, you know, corn to tasseling, saved up enough money, bought, uh, bought an electric guitar to start. and. Uh, my parents got me into lessons that September. I was 14, I think, when I started. And that's what's, and I haven't put the thing down since. Like, I yeah. just, from a very early age, it's, you play as well, right? I do, yeah, I'm a musician. Yeah, so you know what it's like, right? You have a guitar that is hard to walk by that thing and not, and for me, not pick it up. That's spot on. It's like being a kid. It's like any room I walk into, if there's a drum set, the guitar, bass guitar, piano, I just can't help myself but play with it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll walk into a social setting, it'll be a party yep. somewhere. I see the guitar in the corner, the people. Oh, are you're that guy. Music. I'm like, uh, what kind is it? What kind of wood is it? You know, what string gauge is on this thing? I get excited, right? And it's it's something that's... Play Wonderwall, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's how the journey started. And then I just started, I think as all guitar players you find a guy that plays drums right and then you you start jamming that way and then another guy plays guitar and then someone has to either switch from guitar to bass right or you, you're lucky enough to find a real you know a true bass player and then that's how it starts and I've been in a number of bands over the years uh, cover bands tribute bands original bands um, and, and I've been very lucky I've played with some very talented people um, some incredible humans as well on top of their music ability um, and then I lucked out after about 10 years of doing just the cover stuff and opening up for some really cool Canadian bands. Um, uh, a good friend of mine that came out and sang for us one of the cover bands, I'd never met him, but he showed up, 
uh, he became a good friend after, but uh, he came out and someone said, yeah, you need a singer, this guy will come sing for you. I'm like, okay, great. So it was on the fly, no rehearsals, he just showed up and gave him the set list. And the first song he sang, man, I just got goosebumps. I'm like, what the heck, what is this? You know, where did that come from? This voice was just powerful. Um, and that was Aaron, Aaron Walpole. He, uh, he continued to um, do a couple shows with us, and then he, he took off onto that Canadian Idol show. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, he did very, very well with that. And he kept saying, hey, I'm in the top 100. We get the message, oh, I'm top 50. Sorry, I can't be back. You know, I'm now in the top 25. Yeah, he ended up getting uh, third place that year, I think. So that landed a deal with Sony BMG, and we got to record with uh, Harry Hess at Vespa Music, uh, Harry from Harem Scarum. Uh, and then things just op that opened up another level of doors. Instead of doing the covers and the tribute, uh, we started playing to some pretty big crowds, opening up for some pretty big names, uh, and then be having that distribution deal with Sony BMG, just, it, it introduced us to a lot of the business and the things that you don't get as a cover band. All right, I gotta ask you, because I think yeah. you might be the, f possibly the first person, first musician I've interviewed that's had a major label deal, mm -hmm. I think. Could be wrong on that. Talk me through the positives of that and, and what, what a deal like that looks like in this modern age because i think obviously you hear a lot of um negative things about uh, you know those those major deals and i imagine that there are still positives of having such a deal so walk us through your kind of personal perspective what it was like for you being on on that kind of a deal sure i can tell you the positive i mean this was probably 2006 2007 okay so, but, but you have to remember when we played with aaron we would play to a pub Yep. And there'd be 50 people or 100 people, they're having a good time. But as soon as he landed on that show and got that exposure, mm -hmm. and Aaron did a lot of theater and stuff like that before, so his name was really, you know, he had a strong, solid name for himself uh, before Canadian Idol, theater-wise. But after that show, we it was weird. We could be on the West Coast and walk into a music store and see our album there. You know, the CD was in the store. How do you do that if you're just, you know, it's different nowadays, it's all online. This is kind of like just pre, when people were still buying physical copies, right? Not just the vinyl stuff. Good old days. Yeah, the good old days, right? So where we played, we did a bunch of acoustic sets at uh, music stores and, and people were lined up outside and around the corner waiting to see and hear Aaron sing these songs, right? Which was going from this to that, that quick, it took us a while to wrap our heads around it. And unfortunately, I think a few of us thought that that would just be that way forever as well. Right? Oh, this is great. We could just oh, yeah. we, we, we can quit our jobs. We can. Uh, we were all factory guys. You know, we all were, uh, two of us worked at Ford Motor Company. And uh, we just said, okay, this is it, right? But the positive end of it was it was a distribution deal through Sony BMG. So the music was everywhere, right? But there was right at that time, and Harry Hess was the one that pushed to get that for us because he was signed with... Uh, I think his band, Scarum, was with uh, Warner, Warner Brothers, but he, he knows a lot of the business and stuff. But he landed us the distribution deal um, with Sony. So the music was out there, but it's not like we had a deal like we hear some of these people that get, you know, a full ride and, and you know, um, all the production recording was covered and, and everything else, right? But I could tell you some horror stories, man. I know some Canadian bands, I won't name them, but as soon as they got signed, it's a great thing. But then they would say, well, you need a video. And again, this is 2006, 2007, 2008. You need a video, you need a video. And back then, videos were 200, 
So they would put a video out for this band, but now that wasn't covered. That was like a loan. So we'll, we'll no. Yeah, we'll take care of that, but you have to pay it back with your album sales. So in, oh, what? Oh yeah, yeah. So with the album sales in Canada too, uh, platinum here in Canada is not like the states where it's. I think it's a million is platinum album sales. We're a hundred thousand here in in Canada, right? Okay, I'm just gonna interject for a second. Um, so. Was it like how it was in the UK in regards to, um, did you have like some major alternative rock or rock stations or whatever that would play your videos in perpetuity? Because we, we had like uh, Kerrang TV, Scars, uh, I think MTV back then uh, still played music. Um, but point yeah. is, you would have your songs featured with the video online constantly. And obviously that was the beginning of, of YouTube where, so I think... 06, 07, 08, you began to see those videos on there. But point is, there wasn't as many platforms as there are now. If you have a music video, if anything, now music videos are kind of like, I don't know, there is still an interest in it, but it's not really like as, as big as it once was. But back in, in, in then, in the mid-2000s, it was huge. So talk oh. us through a little bit about um, your vis- visibility of videos in Canada at that time. Yeah, so I grew up, like, I'm 47, man, so I grew up on much music was huge in Canada, and there was a thing called the Pepsi Power Hour, and then it turned into the Power 30. It almost switched, it went from an hour, but it was all my favorite, you know, the the bands from the 80s and the the guitar players, right? So before the internet, we had, the only way we got a chance to see them, if if we didn't go to a live show, was we would have to wait to see the the concert, or not the concert, but the videos that these bands put out online, and they were huge huge in the in the late 80s uh into the 90s and mid 90s right and uh, even when the the genre switched to that whole seattle thing there were still videos coming out to promote that right. but you're right now with youtube and everything else it's there's nowhere to i don't know a lot of people that have cable tv anymore that they they go on and and see any music videos so it's all online but back in the day it was expensive to do videos it was like six digits minimum to get these yeah, it's insane. So there's been a few Canadian bands. I know two videos. The one band, they, they got two videos they pumped out, and they did great. They toured everywhere. They were all over the place. A big name here. But there were 500000 in the hole that they, they owed back. See, this, I, I don't understand this. Again, I just want to interject just for a second. Like, yeah, man. When I think about, I mean, I can't really speak for Canadian band or, or bands at that time, but like with a lot of the bands that I was listening to back then, they weren't really particularly adventurous with regards to what was going on in the music videos. I mean, you had like some things at the other end of the spectrum, like say Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication, something, you know, yeah. where they've used computer imagery and stuff and they've actually got to make like a video game of themselves and stuff. That's ambitious. That's big. That's probably going to cost a lot. But a lot of bands, you think like, your, I don't know, Nickelback or um, even like Metallica and stuff like that. Like it's, it's all very basic. It would be like, you know, maybe maybe they have a small storyline, some paid actors, and then just endless shots of the band in like some darkened setting or like rundown gym somewhere or something. Like it's point is, it's not that glamorous to the extent that it would cost two hundred and fifty thousand pounds or dollars. I, I, I don't get I, that. I agree with you, but you gotta think those bigger acts. Every individual member has their own attorney, their own agent, their own thing. And then when people get involved, it's, it's there's music, right? 
And then there's the music industry. Right, of course. Unfortunately, parts of that industry is needed to, to push the music. But unfortunately, especially during those times, the industry took over a lot of the music. And it was more about the business. And there's been a lot of bands, a lot of people I've met, big name bands. Man, they got they just got taken advantage of for the royalties on the music. The, oh, yeah, we'll get videos out, go on tour. Here you go. Here's the bus. Here's the gear. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Like, who wouldn't be to go out on tour and do that? But then to get that letter in the mail two months later saying, what do you mean we owe this much? We How are we going to wait? Pause for a second, right? And it's unfortunately it's a very common um, thing that happened in the past. And that's one thing that I love about nowadays that you see these these kids or the young younger musicians putting stuff out on Instagram and and, uh, and TikTok and all these things. They're just getting their stuff out there, and they've developed a following without the industry. They right. promoted themselves, and they've done a great job with it. So then those label guys and the suit guys and all that stuff, even though there are some you know positive things to having that, there's some negative things that come along with it too. And just ask anybody that's been in the industry long enough, and they'll 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 gladly tell you. Well, I've got to ask, like, did you keep up sort of uh, working relations with those bands? Do, do you know what happened to them, how they dealt with that, how they got through it? Did they come out in a better place in the future or are they still struggling yeah. with it? Like, what well, happened? Some of them struggled and they and they turned they turned the wrong path, right? Like, they, they coped with it in unhealthy matters. Right. And other people, I know some of them that got business degrees because of it, right? They're like, well, that's not happening again. You know, I'm going to represent myself or whatever, you know? Like, they, it's just a learning process. Yeah. But just imagine yourself as at 22, someone saying, I love your music, man. You wrote that. You're like, yeah, man, I love it. I got a tour bus waiting for you. And I got all the Marshall stacks you need. Uh, I'll get you endorsed. And you're just like, yes, you're a yes guy. I don't know anyone at that age who'll be like, well, hold on. Let me check the fine print and let me make sure that everything's covered, right? Everybody back in that era anyways was very, very eager to play. Just get on the road and all I want to do is play music, man. But to recoup that money is tough. It's tough. So with without the videos nowadays, it's when bands go out, right? Like they merchandise is a huge part of their their income in the live shows now. Because someone told me a while ago there used to be uh, you know hundreds of bands that sold millions of albums. Now there's millions of bands that sell hundreds of albums. Yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting to me, like how bands these days, like how do you make your money, really? I mean, I stream. I've heard with streaming, it's like peanuts. You it's, know, it's, it's really bad. Yeah. So Every what, merch, stream, I suppose, merchandise, touring. That's that's the only way you can really make money, isn't it? Royalties, yeah. I guess. Yeah, as well. Royalties, but that's again the album sales are less now right so royalties are well, there. when was that think about it, when was the last time you bought an album i mean i don't know maybe 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 it's just me but like i well, i think the last time i genuinely bought an album was oh gotta be like 10 years ago mm -hmm. something like that that's probably the norm like i bought uh just recently a vinyl uh for one of my favorite ah movies. see yeah but right there that's yeah i get i get that's different though isn't it? like yeah. I, I get what you mean like i feel like anyone that's buying physical media now but you're, yeah. bu you're buying because you're a a fan but b it's because you, you don't need that do you know what i'm saying like you you right. need it in the sense that you want it because it's nice to have but you right. you don't need it to 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 listen to it you can just put on a streaming right. platform 
And if you look at my my vinyl connection, I'm not buying anything that's brand new coming out vinyl. Yeah. I'm buying stuff that I already know I love, and it's being re-released or remastered or whatever, and then I'm picking it up that way. But yeah, I don't uh, I don't physical sales. Uh, it's kind of shifted away from that, you know. Except for the diehard fans, but back right. in the day when the new album came out, I remember for some of my favorite bands waiting at a music store three hours before they open in the morning. I was one of those guys in line. Like when Van Halen dropped an album or, you know, the new Metallica or whoever, I was in line. I couldn't wait till 10 a.m. when that store opened and just wait and get my physical copy before they ran out, go home, read all the notes inside of it, uh, listen to it. You know, it's not like that anymore. It's songs are kind of presented in a here's a song. And I think society today, they listen to it for 10, 20 seconds and they make their decision then if they like it or not. Yeah, I know what I know what you mean. Like, I, I grew up in a similar era. Like, I'm I'm a little bit long, younger than you, but like, I I do remember going into like CD shops, like uh, HMV, yeah. and that's how I discovered. But that's how I came across Megadeth, for example. Okay. I, be, I became a huge Megadeth fan um, because of their cover art. Like, I looked at it and I took a chance on. Yeah. You ready for this? Yeah. Rust in peace. Yeah, and uh, so far, so good. So what? I looked at those and I was like, oh, wow. And Rust in Peace, for those who don't know, is definitely Megadeth's best album, but one of the best thrash metal be um, albums of all time and, and just a genuinely excellent heavy metal album from beginning to end, like well, considered one of the best. And I had no idea that I was stumbling across that. I was still yeah. discovering like metal bands at the time. Um, but to, to your point about the experience, like that was part of the experience, just endlessly looking at the rock and metal section. And then you, but, but it's a commitment. You buy that album, you go home. And like, even if you didn't like the first 20 seconds of us, well, you've committed to that now. So now you're going right. to sit down and listen to the whole right. thing. And, and, and no, I don't want to say like force yourself to like it, but you, you're going to try to find stuff you like it. And then through that, it is an experience. Yeah, like it's you know, it's... I purchased this. I'm going to listen to it, right? Where today is out. Oh, skip, skip, skip. Shuffle, shuffle. But I have to ask. I'm curious uh, how you responded when you heard Marty Friedman. My my opinion is that's some of his best playing on that album. Um, you also oh, you don't think it is, or you do? Oh, I do think it is. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's the best lineup. I think yeah. hands down. Um, Nick Menza's drumming was was ex particularly exceptional. Um, I, I did like uh, Peace Cells, um, particularly. I thought that was excellent too. But there was something about the way Rust in Peace is produced. And here's something interesting as well, just to get on the production side of things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the only thing that's really wrong with Rust in Peace from a production standpoint is it's a little bit quiet. Obviously, you can just mm -hmm. turn it up on your system, but like the bass level for it is quite quiet. And now, it, right? right? And like now, yeah. the, I remember for for a time in the early two thousands, um, everyone thought like, oh well, the answer to that is just turn everything up loud. And there was this whole period of no, the problem is not production; it's turn everything up. And it's like that's yeah. not the answer to everything. But interestingly, around that time, Dave decided Dave Mustaine, uh, the lead singer and, and guitarist of of Megadeth, decided to remaster. Uh, all the old albums. I think this was oh two, oh four, something like that. Around that time that he like had an arm injury, so he had a lot of time on his hands, and yeah. he decided to uh, to remaster. Now, 
<sighs> the problem with that is it's always cool to have a remaster. Um, but he a he made it more difficult to get the original. So like a lot, I see a lot of bands do this where they replace the mm. originals with the remasters, which I absolutely hate. Offer yeah. it, offer it as yeah. an alternative because when yeah. people go back and they remaster things, uh, they either do their vision of what they think it should sound like in today's day and age, and sometimes that that can help complement an album, but often it gives a different interpretation of that album. Plus, what Dave decided to do was go in and re-record a bunch of stuff. So like we're talking different oh, solos, different, yeah, really? different vocals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he did yeah. it for Rust in Peace. He did it for Peace Cells. Mm. It kind of worked a little bit with Peace Cells and um, it worked especially well, I think, with their first album, um, Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good. Great album mm-hmm. top. Um, yeah. Because the original recording was terrible. Like it's a well-known fact that they spent all their money on drugs and then had like maybe a couple of grand left to record an album and they just about pulled it off craziness they learned a little bit from their mistakes on peace cells but not really so when you go back and you listen to the remaster of the first album it works second one it's up for a debate but rust in peace the remaster oh two sorry to say it's awful it's just everything's super loud there's reworked vocals reworked solos it's 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 like the equivalent of like no i can't say that <laughs> uh i wasn't gonna say anything controversial but i was gonna say something that i think is a little bit unfair um look if some if something is presented to you in a certain way and then you go back after a certain period of time and you change it i don't know it's do you know what it's like i'll tell you what it's like yeah, it's like when George Lucas went back and did his remasters of the original Star Wars movies and oh, started yeah. changing things for plot purposes, mm. or just 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 to kind of add something, but it didn't add anything. Good, a few good examples. Um, who shot first? He added uh, like a weird effect thing to make it look like it was um, Guido. I think his name was the character who shot Han first. When we all know that Han shot first. But the idea being to make him look like less of a cold blooded killer. Um, I'm going into like nerdy territory here. That's okay. Um but another thing is just like there were scenes in there where he just like adds CGI, you know, like for the teen scenes on Tatooine to make it more in line with the prequels he just made. <clears throat> just unnecessary yeah. changes. Like I get that they just didn't have the special effects back in the seventies and eighties, but they did a great job like they were classic still considered the best movies within that um and my point being with this is like whenever you go back it's a risk and i just think that you should always offer it as an option as opposed to a replacement yeah like if zeppelin said they were going to remaster zeppelin um led zeppelin 2 i would listen to it but if they said the original is not available anymore uh, I see this all the time. I saw this yeah. um, with the yeah. the Grand Theft Auto series recently. Uh, oh. GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas were remastered by a third-party developer. So Rockstar, mm. the developer, basically handed over everything to this third-party developer development team, and they created something with Unreal Engine, and everyone hated it. Uh, because you know it just wasn't very good to be honest yeah um, sometimes, uh, sometimes change is good right but right, yeah 
Well, here's the thing. I'm sure there's many people out there that love the changes. And yeah. for what it's worth, there are some changes there that look pretty cool. But the problem is Rockstar made the original games unavailable. Mm. I don't know if they've brought them back or not, but they've sort of replaced them with this, with what many people would term kind of inferior replacement. Mm. And bring it back to music. I mean, I would consider the original remaster, oh, sorry, the original production of, say, um, Rust in Peace is superior to the yeah. crappy remasters that came out years later. <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's cool that they do it, but we all have different ears, right? We all hear things sure. differently. Yeah. yeah, like if you and I sat in a room together and listened to a brand new release by whoever, you would hear it your way, I'd hear it my way, and, and, and they're both valid, but they're both independent as well, right? I think it's... With, with things like music... It's, yeah, it's tough because it's all subjective. But I think that mm. you got to go with what the majority is kind of saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking like as far as like how something is written and and stuff like that. That's just up for you know. I completely agree. I think it's just subjective. But when it comes mm. to production, see, that's different because that's like how ha- what is the best way to hear this. Do you know what I mean? So, like, for instance, classic example, and Justice for All, bass is turned down. Why? Why is the yeah. bass turned down? Well, we know why. We, well, we know why. Yeah. But, but, um, but And why have they never released a version that has the bass intact? They've got the masters. It's possible yeah. that they've chosen not to. I'd love to hear it because that album is, is tough for me. Great music, great songs, great band. That's a tough one for me to listen to. Yeah, oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, once you become a musician, you start working in, in, oh, in producing and stuff. Set. Monster bass player. Oh, yeah. yeah. Platform, you know, but but again, there's two people that made that decision, right? But anyways, well, we are going to... Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, we are going to see Megadeth uh, May 9th. They're coming here to Ottawa at the Canadian Tire Center, so I'm excited to go see them. They're I hope, the I hope they, they do well for you, man. Yeah, yeah, first time seeing them. Yeah, I have, I have mixed feelings about my about Megadeth Live. I don't know. All right, man. That's they're, right. They're, they're, they're good, I think, from a, um, a technical standpoint. But I think the thing that I was quite disappointed with is they don't... They're the musicians band. Mm. They're the sort of band that you go and see if you're a musician and you'll appreciate it. But like, if you're expecting like a show... You're not really going to get anything that's particularly like if you go and see Metallica, that's a sh- that's a performance for sure. That's like you could see them. I've seen them like four or five times now, and I must say, every time it's been amazing. Yeah, I've seen Megadeth twice. First time, I was just uh, thrilled to see them because it was good. You know, it's just hearing one of your favorite bands. It's always yeah. really good. Um, and I will say, when you go see them, it will be fantastic. It'll be tight. Yeah. It'll be. Because like one thing you could say about Dave Mustaine is he's always had an attention to detail. Uh, mm-hmm. He's very OCD when it comes to to that sound. So it will be tight, but um, that, that's kind of it, really. Yeah, I mean, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's again, it really depends what you're looking for. If you just want to see them perform the, the songs that you've listened to, then that's what will happen. But yeah, no, I remember like crowd interaction when I saw them the second time was odd, like he'd come on and he'd just be like he's introducing Hangar 18 and he was just kind of like yeah this song is about aliens 
and then just starts playing Hangar 18. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like this, like I grew up and this, this is huge. Like the whole song is it's about conspiracy theories and the government, Roswell and stuff. Yeah. Like, like, like build it's it up, man. Yeah. Build it up. Build up the, like, ah, oh, come on. And just, no. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, I've never seen. But I'm used to going to shows too. Like I'm a huge Dream Theater fan. I love Dream Theater. Oh my right? God. They're my, oh my Amazing. gosh. Amazing. Sorry, go on. No, no, man. They're they're one of my favorites, and uh, <clears throat> they do they put on a show as well. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I'm going there for the music, man. You know, I, they don't need to put pyro on, or they don't need anyone dancing on stage. I'm like, I'm just watching John. And, oh, uh, I, I will I will say <clears throat> it's not just when I, well, to be clear, it's not just about. Um, I'm not just talking like f- visually when I talk about performance. Yeah. What I yeah. mean is is interaction. Ah, gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Like when when you go see a band like Megadeth play live, you're seeing, you're just seeing them play. I don't know how to explain it. When I saw Dream, when I saw Dream Theater, they did have your visuals and stuff, but like you can tell they're into it. They riff off the crowds. There's interaction. They play to that. They they do things like um, you get to choose set lists and stuff because obviously with the band like Dream Theater, they've got so many songs and it's it's crazy. Like I, I remember when I saw them the first time they played like six songs and that was like yeah, three and a half hours <laughs> yeah well that's like two hour show six seven songs yeah. i was like oh yeah mad i forgot like octavarium yeah. like half an hour like <laughs> but they're so grateful too they're just humble oh, yeah. humble grateful some of the best musicians in the world are on stage together when they perform it's crazy how talented they are Absolutely. and i know they get a lot of flack from some musicians but at really? any point, oh yeah, I, I've known a few guys, oh, it's too much, or it sounds like video games, and this and that. And at any point, I just take a guitar, and I'm like, here, man, just, you know, just show me one riff of Dream Theater, and tell me how easy it is, you know? They're no, never. Pretty talented people, man. Speaking of pretty talented people, you're a very talented musician. Oh, um, talk, talk us through, you know, how you became the, uh, the lead guitarist of your current band, Gelatin Skeleton. Oh, that one, yeah, it's, uh, I think it might have been band mix. So we have this, uh, it's kind of like an app. It's like Tinder, but for musicians. <laughs> it, nice. it is, yeah, is you can kind of swipe and you can listen to uh, audio samples of their singing, playing, or demos or whatever. It gives a little bio where they're from. It's been, it's been a really cool app for me because my wife and I just went down to New Orleans in January. And I just jumped on there a couple months prior to, and it's a great way to network with people. And I got a chance to to perform and play with people. How else would you do it, right? Like, I got to ask, like, does it work? The functionality is it the same as Tinder? Do you swipe? No, it's more like a classifieds. Like you just, yeah, uh, yeah, you can break it down to if you're looking for a trumpet player, bass player, whatever, and it breaks it right down. And then um, you don't have to connect or anything like that. You just uh, pretty much shoot them a message and get it going. But uh, the singer, Brett Kelly, reached out to me. Or somehow we connected that way. But then that's right when COVID uh, was just starting. So there was no getting together. There's no rehearsing, all that stuff. So Brett just said, are you into like glam, big hair, rock, metal you know, from the 80s. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. And he started naming off all these bands and players. I'm like, that's totally what I grew up on, man. I love Vito Brada. I love all these these 80s players, right? And he said, well, I want to piece something together that honors that style, um, but kind of, you know, modern. Not so much the steel 
uh, Steel Panther stuff, you know, just kind of um, original music that, that had that edge to it, just kind of oof, some energy to it. Uh, so COVID happened and we didn't talk for a while. And then right when it started to, uh, to get back to somewhat normal, the phone rang again and it was Brett and he said uh, he's ready to go. And I went online, they had a couple videos out already, but I don't think they had performed anywhere live. Um, so we talked about a few things and we got together and uh, um, everything seemed to click music wise. We were all on the same path, but more importantly, everybody's really good guys in that band. You know, it's at this age, it's not all about we need the fastest drummer or the best gear. It's like, can you light a barbecue and flip a steak with this guy? You know, can you travel in a van and two? like, can you after day three are you still going to be able to chat with this guy or is is there ego involved is there other stuff that you know i just no time for that anymore i gotta say like i feel like whatever age you are that is absolutely the most important thing yeah like i've been in bands before and here's the thing like music is within my life like i write all the time um yeah. i have been a musician all my life always will be but it's something that's kind of taken a side seat. You know, I, I, mm. I, I don't actively pursue it in the way that I know other people want me to. And I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Like there is a bit of a broken heart element to me in, in that area, but like yeah. it is what it is. But when I think about um, what it would take for me to join a band again, I can tell you hands down 100%, it is all down to chemistry. Yeah. If I walk in that room and I'm like, yes, then right? and that's, that's all it is. It's like a job interview. Yeah. It's like, you know, getting with a lover. It's exactly the same thing. It's Absolutely. do we, do we click? Like I remember one time I, I did a, I've told this story before, but I, I did a audition for a band and it was not long after I'd broken with this, the, the last sort of true band that I had been in. Like I was in a band for about three years growing up between 18 to 21 or 17 to 20. And um, that was the last time I felt like true chemistry with a bunch of musicians. I've had like, I've worked with other musicians um, and, and like clicked, but like never really felt that kind of same chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of sad, but it, it just is what it is. Uh, but I remember like this one band I, I auditioned for, it was, it was going well and everything and they were really into it. I just didn't feel it. I just yeah. wasn't feeling it. And they were like, oh, and they felt really bad. They were like, oh, you're not feeling it? Like, I thought we, we've got something here, haven't we? And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I was like, to me, it's <laughs> like pretending that you love someone or something. Like, you just can't yeah. do it, man. It's just mean. It's, you're just letting someone down. Like, just don't do it. Especially with original music, because if you're writing stuff together, it has to, like, if it's, I've been brought in and just done solos for people, and that's easy. Like, here's sure. a section, just do it. No problem, man. I don't need a connection for that, right? Or I've done, you know, tribute shows or cover bands. I can show up as a, as a hired guy or even do a multiple, like, a, a string of shows or a tour, and that's okay. But to sit in the studio and record stuff, you know, there's been people over the years who are like, well, let's do it this way. I'm like, okay, try it that way. And, and you get the back and forth going, and you realize that it's it's something else. Uh, going on that's like they just want to do it their own way but they want to have people there around them yeah so it's just do your solo stuff man like do it let me know what you need but this is not a collaboration you know and if it's driven by ego and if it's driven whoa, by whoa, back up a second has yeah. anyone ever said that to you like 
This is not a collaboration, pal. No, that's what I said to them. Oh, mad. But not in a, not in a, hey, this isn't a collaboration, this is mine. I'm like, hey, man, let's write a song. And then you go there and everything that you do from start to finish is, they've already had the vision in their mind in the song in their head. Uh, so when you get yeah. together, say, hey, man, you've already got all the parts worked out. This, this isn't a collaboration. I mean it in a positive way. Like you've got it all worked out, man. Like, let's, let's just record it. You know, okay. what's the sense of saying, try this? No, thanks. I will try this. No, thanks. Okay, man. You know, but there's, there's other people that are like, yeah, like, let's throw everything on the table. Let's, let's try that. Let's listen to it. Does it sound good? And if everyone's thumbs up, we move forward. You know, but sometimes, you know, over the years, there's been that one guy, nope, nope, nope. I like mine, but I don't like your guy, you know. Oh, and you got, you got to tell me, people, man. Tell me about some egos you dealt with, uh, like some stories that stick out. Oh, for you. I, can, I can't throw people under the bus. Well, you don't have to. Okay, I'll say this: you never have to throw people that. under the bus on my on my show because I understand why. I know it's not it's not professional, and I, I never do that either. But I'll, I'll talk about the people. I just will never say their names. Yeah, but, <laughs> but come on, throw, throw them out there. <laughs> oh man, no, I can't do that. I got to keep positive, man. But I will. Okay, all right, quickly. Uh, it's usually the singers, though. <laughs> it's, it's a, we we joke about it. We call it LSD, right? It's lead singer disease, and that's uh, <laughs> you know. But honestly, man, today, like, I'm involved with uh, with an ABBA tribute. Uh, there's ten people. Well, in before that. okay, before we get to yeah, that, yeah. You, you've introduced a new concept here. Yeah, yeah. Walk us through lead singer disease. Come on. What's uh, that? What's that? Say that again. Lead singer disease. Come on, talk us through that. Yeah, it's well, you know, I think some singers go to vocal lessons. They go me, 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 and they just take that to heart. They're like me, 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 me. All right. I mean, like that's just a joke. <laughs> that's just a joke in the industry. Um, okay. Yeah. No, it, I've been pretty lucky, man. Um, all the guys like John Millis that I play with, one of my best friends, and we've got some new music coming out. Aaron Walpole is a singer. He, he zero ego in that guy. Super humble. Um, there's been a lot of singers I've played with over the years that are fabulous. I'm just joking about the LSD. It's just kind of an industry thing. But um, typically with egos, we do find, especially if we're playing with other bands, you know, if it's original stuff and that band comes in, usually the, the you know, the band's usually really good. Sometimes the singer comes in a little hot with uh, whatever. But sometimes those singers okay. need that, right? Since we've just met each other, I know that there might be a bit of like, oh, this guy's he's trying to like push me. I'll share some stories with you about yeah, bad experiences I've had. Put your mind yeah. at ease and to show you what, what I'm trying to do with this. So every musician has ego stories from people they've worked with to people they've played with. I think the biggest examples for me, um, look, in my first band, I was the ego guy. I'll put my hands up and say right there, I was yeah. the reason that my first band ended because I was a jackass. But I was a young, ill-informed jackass. So that's the difference. I learned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, but it was, it, was ne it was never like that I thought I was better than anyone in my band or contraire. I thought that our band was excellent. And we were. We genuinely were excellent. And I thought that we could have gone a lot further and I pushed them a bit too hard and I kind of sucked the fun out of it. That was the problem. Um, but then the crazy thing for me is when we started playing with other bands, then I really started to see ego. Uh, best example, I remember I was playing a show one time and <laughs> this, okay, this isn't funny. This is just sad. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm playing a show in London with, yeah. with my then band and I think we're, I 
think we were headlining, but we had to sound check first. First, but yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You're headlining, then, yeah. Yeah, so I think so. I don't know. I, I, I don't even remember. But it was that awkward kind of thing where um, it wasn't, you know, we, we never had big crowd or anything. Um, yeah. Often you'll just end up playing to the other bands. Um, Absolutely. And, and here's the weird thing about that. Everyone else is really nice. We met the other bands and they're all cool and they're all like, yeah, you know, might as well grab a drink, get to know people, have fun. Like, you know, it doesn't matter that there's like barely anyone here. Who cares? Let's just enjoy yeah. this. Um, so like we're, we're connecting with the other bands and having a good time. But there's one band. There they are. <laughs> and uh, the best way I can put this is there are a bunch of guys in the um, mid 40s who used to be like you could tell we're like you know this like super serious punk band and yeah. you know probably in their mid-teens or early 20s they were probably some you know lethal force to be reckoned sure. with full of but, testosterone ready to go ready right to rock world, but, yeah. but now they're in the mid-40s and yeah these are people's dads maybe even granddads and there's nothing wrong with that by the way yeah punk, punk forever yeah, absolutely the, the issue was when we would try and talk to them there was that kind of you can't talk to us attitude and it's like we're playing the same gig as you um just trying to make conversation i just want to get to know how long you've been doing this learn from you you know and (laughs) so when they got on the stage i remember in particular the singer was like he's just in a different world he's just like oh i'm so above this you know like just like his face kind of said it all and it was painful to watch yeah. It was just one of these moments where it felt kind of surreal, and it's it's, it's not happened loads. I've I've had this more in the acting industry than than the music yeah. industry, to be honest. Because most people you meet, you know, they're in the same boat as you, playing all these tough shows endlessly, and they're mm-hmm. just grateful to to get an opportunity to play. And I know we were, um, so that, that was kind of my experience of, of the egos. Um, I did have one experience where I played with a band for about three or four months. And I wore, I came in as the singer. I knew this band because I played with them with my previous band. And their lead singer, their lead guitarist used to be the singer, but he kind of introduced me into the band and wanted okay. me to be the singer. We got on very well. The rest of the band liked it. The fans of the band liked it. They were like, yeah, this works. Like, we've got something here. Ooh. And yeah. then the singer one day just turns around, or his guitarist turns around to me one day and goes, oh, no, I need to be the singer again. I can't have he, this. Da, 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 da. There it is. Yeah. There it is. And it was That's like, it. he was a brilliant guitarist. Fantastic. Fair enough. He was an okay singer. Yeah. Um, not saying that I was like amazing compared to him or anything. We were both, you know, but that, that was, I, I was taking steps to do that. And that was like my main thing. And I yeah. also, I kind of fully respected this was like their family and I was kind of coming in. And, and that's another thing to bands, you know, it's it's the family element. And I tried everything yeah. to be part of that, but it was clear there wasn't a place for me in that. Yeah. Um, and it was weird, you know, it's, it's very strange joining a band that is like, yeah, it's, it's how I imagine Rob Trujillo must have felt joining Metallica. Like when you get to a oh, certain yeah. level or whatever, oh. it's like it's no longer a family thing. It's like business almost. It's very much so. Yeah, fifteen. However long he's been in there now, I don't even know. It's been it's been a decade and a bit for sure. He probably still feels like the new guy there, right? Like, well, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I I imagine it maybe. 
who who knows honestly like i I just think i go back to that some kind of monster documentary and you know like there's some people that still called newstead the new guy like that were you know fans of when cliff was in it like (laughs) yeah like i feel like you had what 50 (laughs) like how many did yeah it's crazy cliff was the original newstead came in and was accepted but hazed but he was very much part of the family when Trujillo came in he was in I mean they introduced him in and they immediately gave him one million dollars and like it's business you know now now it's now I think now you could say it's family but like in the the beginning yeah in the beginning it's it's like oh um and that's always an interesting dynamic in a band but especially when you're coming in um, what was that like coming for you in, in this established band, Gelatin Skeleton? Like, what, what they, was... weren't too, they weren't too established, so that was the, the cool part. Like, they've been around a long time, right? They were just getting going. I think they released a, a couple of videos, uh, but not not many, maybe one live show. I'd have to check with Brad. Oh, so they're still quite a new, fresh band then? That's... Still fresh, oh, but cool. I, was, I was, was the new guy coming in. Right. And uh, and then shortly after, the drummer, um, he tours a lot with Destroyer, like a really good Kiss tribute uh, all over the time. So his schedule was pretty busy. So we ended up getting a good friend of mine, Kevin Eamon, on drums. Um, and then there's Brett um, singing and then Miles Rourke on bass. So it's just four really good guys. Uh, and it was funny because uh, Kevin, the drummer, has his first time meeting the guys we were driving to a video shoot. So he had never rehearsed with the band. He had never even met the guys. His first day was showing up and doing a video for 80s Ladies, um, playing a song. And uh, and Brett, with the videos and stuff, like Brett Kelly does um, a lot of the, He's produced over 35 movies, I think, or 30. Wow. I shouldn't say the number because I don't know 100%. But he, he's done a lot of movies. If um, uh, So he's very well-versed, you know, producing this stuff and editing it and everything. So it's really nice having that involved. Um, yeah, so we just did a couple shows. We opened up for uh, Steve, or no, I guess it doesn't matter who played, but we did a show at uh, at the Brass Monkey here in Ottawa, and uh, Steve and the Wildcards, Steve Creep and the Wildcards from Montreal came in. You were just talking about meeting the other bands, and that's something I miss with originals is that mm-hmm. when you play in a tribute band, you show up, you do your show, it's great, you know, it's nice, you go home. But when you see a band rolling in on a van that, you know, three of the four tires are working, the other one's not, <laughs> blowing out black smoke, but the guys come out, they're so happy to be playing. And uh, those guys were incredible, incredible musicians, incredible band. And just the, you know, the hang afterwards and beforehand was, I missed that. So it's, uh, that was really cool. And we're coming out your way here in August. We're going to, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the HRH Sleaze Festival. I'd the, say I have. No, is it a metal festival, rock festival? Yeah, kind of all big hair, kind of leather, rock, just uh, just like 80s rock kind of stuff. It's at the O2 Academy. Nice. Uh, in Sheffield, yeah, we're on the main stage on the 26th. But we've also got a show coming up. Um, I think it's in, how do you, is it Leicester? Is that how you pronounce it? Leicester. Leicester. We're playing in Leicester on August 24th at the Metal Monocle, I think. Nice. And then the Tap and Tumbler in Nottingham on the 25th. So we got a little three thing. Yeah. And waiting to hear back. There's a festival going on there in Belgium around the same time, like the first week of September. Okay. So hopefully if we can tie things in. But for right now, we've just got those three shows locked in. And uh, looking forward to coming over to the UK, man, checking it out. I'll say, if you if you do come to Manchester, I am there. I will be there. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. Uh, 1,000%. <laughs> oh, cool, man. I'll let you know. Absolutely. Best of luck with those. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that you've been in tribute bands. I want to kind of explore this a little bit. 
Yeah. Talk us through, you know, the, I know you've always sort of, already sort of touched on it a little bit, but talk us through the differences of, between being in an original band versus being in a cover band. And also, tell us some things that other people might be surprised to know about being in a cover band. Maybe some things, uh, you know, you sort of come across that you maybe you hadn't anticipated as well. Yeah. Tribute or cover? Oh, oh, okay. Well, let's, let's go there. Cause yeah, that, that is a different thing. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. you, you're, you're in a, a, a tribute band. So let's, let's run through that first. Sure. So, uh, we have the main, yeah, we'll get to the differences soon. Uh, the Abba tribute is a really cool thing. It's a 10 piece band. Uh, there's no tracks involved. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have two keyboard players. Uh, the singers in this band are absolutely incredible. Uh, that's what separates uh, this band from maybe some other tributes or whatever. If you hear the people in this band sing the harmonies, like I think there's seven vocal mics, seven or eight vocal mics when we play out of the 10. And the harmonies that they, um, that they, they work out, it's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's a thrill to play with this band. Uh, and the best part for me, coming from, you know, two decades of playing Crazy Train and, and Van Halen and everything, the guitar starts or the drummer starts, the guitar just blows up, right? Some of these ABBA songs, it's all driven by keys. So I'm just finding these little holes, these little, um, you know, a couple notes here, a couple chords there. Uh, it's not driven by guitar. So as a, as a guitar player, it's nice to kind of go back a bit and go, oh, I can just find the spaces now and do some harmonies with the keys and... Uh, it's a fun gig, but ABBA for us is, for me, it's been the, the widest age spectrum I've ever played for because there's five-year-olds and there's 85-year-olds. Ah, I've never okay. had that with anything. And it is, if you've played in cover bands before, you know, the first set, you know, you play your whatever, second set, ramp it up by third set, you know, people are having a good time and they're on the dance floor and the third set is, is, is the most enjoyable part of being in a cover band. Being in an ABBA tribute, first song out of the gate, everybody is on the dance floor. Everybody's happy. We've seen people in there, we don't usually sound check in front of people, but if, you know, there's a couple workers in there or whatever venue you're at, as soon as we sound check a song, people are dancing. And we're just testing levels. And that's just ABBA. It's fun music. It's, uh, um, I don't know, we've been really lucky. I think the last 16 or 17 shows have sold out. And we're just coming uh, up. Yeah, man, it's, it's getting into the soft seat stuff now, right? So we're doing theaters, we're traveling, we're doing the east coast of Canada here in June. There's talks about playing up in Iqaluit, which is like Northwest Territories, way up in the Arctic, which is uh, crazy. Um, but I think that's a that's fairly new. That's just a couple years into that band, but I think it's going to open up a lot of um, a lot of opportunities for us to travel and uh, see different parts of the of the world really with that band if we you know if we allow it to it's a fun show man it's interesting as well because i mean i know that abba right now is is what what exactly is it is it's a pre-recorded show that they're promoting isn't it something like that is that what voyage was it was because they released a new album they which did. was in- incredible uh to just to hear uh and it was it was good it was a good album it was, it was all right yeah. um yeah, I, I, I personally, it didn't blow me away personally, but it was just so amazing to hear them release music after all this time. 30 and, years later or whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's suffice it to say that they, they still got it. But um, yeah, they, they crucially, they chose not to perform because one of the reasons why they never kind of 
which I think is cool. They they retired at the height of their fame and they always said they wouldn't get back on stage because they wanted people to remember them how they were. And I always thought, you know, that's really cool. And yeah. they finally come back. They decide to, they change their mind. They're like, do you know what? We will put some new music out, but we're going to do, I guess like a, what is it? Like a 3D tour where they've got like young versions the of themselves. Hologram. Yeah, hologram. hologram, that's it. Yeah, it's a hologram yeah, show. Yeah. They built a stadium to do this. Yeah. They didn't have a venue, so uh, Benny or Bjorn, one of those guys, just said, well, we'll just build a stadium then, and we'll hold it there. So uh, they've done that. Yeah, it's, uh, they're timeless though, right? They're just... Absolutely. If someone asked me, like I, I asked a few guys when we needed a, we needed a Bjorn, uh, I asked a few of my musicians, you know, do you want to try out for an ABBA tribute? It's just like, no. It was just a no. And it's not a shot at ABBA. Huh. They were just... Yeah, they're like, no, no, man, I don't think, because they think of the outfits, maybe, or they thought, you yeah. know, maybe they have to wear something silly, but we're not like that. We don't do the wigs and all that stuff. Oh, no, really? Just, you just, um, okay, that's interesting. So, so yeah. it's... We dress the part. You do? Okay. So, yeah, the two front, um, um, Andrew Vawa and uh, Christine Irons, the two female singers up front, they wear the outfits, they do the thing, and then our Benny and Bjorn... Uh, definitely, uh, you know, but it's not too, you know, some of the tributes out there, they put on wigs and they do that. And that's cool. That's the thing. Yeah. No, no, I'm not knocking it. It, it works. Uh, but it's just something we collectively as a group said, we're not going to go too far that end of it, right? It's more about the music. We do have some imagery. Um, I, th I think yeah. the, mo the most interesting thing as well is, as I was saying, they're like ABBA is not really like performing live, like how... You know, like, okay, you've got many tribute acts that perform and it's like, it's always incredible. I've, I've seen quite a few go above and there's like a lot of work that goes into it and it's, it's oh, yeah. truly exceptional. But the thing that always intrigues me is when it's an artist who you can't go and see live anymore, even right. because the artist has passed away or because, you know, they've retired, you know. And there's yeah. lots of good examples of this. Like, there's an amazing George Michael um, tribute act. I can't remember the guy's name, but he looks so much like him. It's actually oh, kind of, oh. it's yeah. like kind of heartbreaking, um, but incredible. And I wonder, like, what, what's your thoughts on that? Like, you know, because you're kind of providing uh, people with with something truly special. Then they're never going to get to see ABBA live. Yeah. So you're giving them that opportunity to see what it might sound like, you know? Just thoughts on that. Yeah, I like the journey tribute here. The Oh, you okay? I'm here. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you froze there for a sec. There was a journey tribute that played here a little while ago, but journey was playing here the month after. I'm like, I'm going to go see journey, right? Not a tribute. But the ones that I performed with over the years, like I, I did, um, and what made me open to doing the ABBA was I went from the cover band stuff uh, right into uh, uh, Roy LeBlanc had an Elvis tribute, mm. and he went down to Vegas and won, you know, best best Elvis in the world competition. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think they hand those out once a month there, right? But that yeah. that kind, of, and I'm not minimizing it. Roy's incredible, but uh, with that kind of title from Vegas, that opened up a lot of doors, and there was a lot of traveling there. I was a backup guitarist. Uh, their main guy didn't want to do a tour. I got lucky, you know, I'd jump in the van with those guys and do this, but that was my first time going from a cover band to, oh my God, like this, this theater is full. There's 800 people in here 
and they're all looking at the band. They're not playing pool and at the you know doing their thing, eating their meals, and not looking. They're staring at us. So <clears throat> my introduction to the soft seats was was with Elvis, who people can't, couldn't see anymore. And then we did Roy Orbison as well, same situation. I think Johnny Cash at the end as well. And, uh, you know, so all those musicians that people can't. And then, but hearing these people come up that had seen Elvis over the years and, and hearing them say, oh my gosh, the, the music tonight was amazing and it brought me back. It was like a time machine. And yep. some of the women, you saw them crying during some emotional, some of the gospel songs there. They get really emotional and wrapped up in the moment. And, wow. Yeah. Um, so it, it's been pretty pretty rewarding being in a lot of these tributes, and especially ABBA is just so fun. Like, there's nobody after an ABBA show that's in a bad mood or, or negative energy. It's just smiles and dancing and, and people, their comments online um, from that show. Just It makes it all, all the rehearsing and, and uh, all the fine-tuning of stuff and all the work that goes behind it, because it's a big show to set up and tear down, right? Um, it makes it all worthwhile just getting all that positive feedback from people. It's fun. Best live experience of all time. Oh, man. Uh, I always say the next one, right? <laughs> just, <laughs> just to put it out of the universe, it's going to be the next one. That's good marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, oh, man. The best show, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's still. It's, it's my still, next one. Yeah. I think my first arena with Aaron Walpole, it was walking in. We opened up for, I think it was Colin James, uh, Jason McCoy and the Road Hammers, maybe someone else. It was the arena, and it was the kick drum soundtrack that... And, you know, we always dream about playing in an arena. And then the arena was full, you know, because Colin was there. He's incredible. And Aaron's voice in that arena was just... Uh, I still get goosebumps thinking about that. So I think that's one of the big highlights was playing in the in the arena for the first time with him. Um, just visualizing that all through my teens, listening to the Walkman, thinking about what it would be like to be on a stage and then hearing original music coming out of that too and all that stuff. So yeah, that's probably a highlight. And then having some family there to witness it too. It was really, oh, it was that's special, man. Yeah. yeah. Having your yeah. family there to see you. I've always wanted my family to see me see me play live i i, I did uh, my step uncle did see me actually once which which meant a lot it was completely oh, cool. out of the blue yeah i was just yeah i was like wow thank you so much like, i didn't even invite yeah. him he, he just turned up and i was like oh my god like it, it meant a lot right and it changes um, things too right you got yeah thousand people out there it's no big deal all of a sudden for me if it's my son or daughter is there you know or, or uh someone changes things like, oh. it's like it's like yeah it's personal isn't it it's like you're sharing yeah, sharing absolutely. something it's like hey here's something that i'm passionate about i'm glad i can share yeah. it with you yeah yeah and i hope you receive it well right absolutely okay worst live performance or live experience <laughs> oh. um <laughs> hmm. there's always know. one there's always one come on God tell yeah. me there hasn't been. <laughs> I, I, I think, um, it, the first thing that comes to mind is Hooligans Holiday. That was a band uh, that we got together, and it was before Aaron sang with us. So um, the singer came, and he wanted to do something different. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. We were just a we were just a cover band, and he came out. Like when nobody knew. Like we did sound check, and he went away, and he was a different cat. Okay. But he came back with some kind of mask on. It was like a Halloween mask, like a, it was a Godzilla thing or some lizard green thing. All right. He had all these tool belts. 
or no, he had a tool belt, but all these tools hanging off his belt. And what, I just, well, like at like like workman tools. Yeah, like it was a weird combo. It was so strange. But first song in, he tripped over a cable and he fell, and I think he knocked himself out on the monitor. So, <laughs> like, like first the bizarreness of this guy wearing a a lizard on his head, and then he fell over <laughs> and was knocked out, and we stopped. I'm like, what is going on? So was that the first song of the sound check? Sorry, I, I first, no first song in the set, right? <laughs> People just, and then boom, he's out. We're like, uh, did you just have to like poke him with the guitar? Like, hey man, we still got like 20 minutes, like 30 minutes. Come on, wake up. I thought it was because like, I didn't see it happen. So I looked down, he's lying down. I thought, okay, is this part of the show? Like, he's a list. I didn't know what was happening, man. It was, uh, there was a lot going on there. So what did you do? Did you just have to like stop and wake him up? And man, I can't, you know, that would be 90. I don't know, man. I don't remember how it bounced back. But that's probably how we ended up getting aired at the next couple of shows. <laughs> Cause did, you fi- did you finish the show at least? Like, was it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We would have finished the show. We had enough singers in the band. They could have taken over. Yeah, we had some talent. Oh, oh talented okay. Guys. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any of those. Mo- Honestly, man, like these days, there's really no, it's pretty smooth and we've all been doing it a while. So yeah. Cool. But back then, yeah, I've got some crazy stories. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've seen a lot, right? Yeah, this is why I love tapping into this, man. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Speaking of crazy stories, yeah. Any crazy touring stories that stick out to you? Anything that's just like interesting about touring, or because you hear, I will say this as well. You do hear a lot about touring, um, and sometimes it's glamorous, sometimes it sounds fun, but a lot of it actually sounds like pretty grueling for for quite a lot of bands. Like maybe like something that's maybe not as enjoyable as think people might think. Like. I remember one, um, I think it might have been a Loudwire video, um, which is a great YouTube, um, well, their company, I think they mainly do like metal stuff, but they do like these clip compilations sometimes. And there was one uh, video that they put out one time, which was specifically about touring. And every single artist just said, love performing, hate touring. Like yeah. every single one of them was just like, oh, like there's one in particular that stands out where it's, I think it's Greta Van Fleet are sitting there talking about it. And you mm-hmm. can see their faces are just like, yeah, you know, like you just have to like travel here and do this and wait around. And this is like what it's like in the airport and da, 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 da. and they're just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So walk us through. Come on. Experiences are touring. Yeah, what it's, what it's like for you. Obviously, I've never been to the level of flying around and doing all that kind of stuff uh, for, for those kind of things. It's been mostly you know, uh, a bus for a bit and mm-hmm. then a tour, like a van, a band van, all those kind of things. Uh, bass player once, my good buddy Daryl Gratton um, said it was 23 hours of bullshit for one hour of fun. Oh, yeah. 23 hours, damn. Yeah, but that's what he said because the show was one hour. He goes, oh man, this is 23 hours for one hour of fun. But I love playing, man, and I do love right. going to different cities. Um but I'm starting to know, like, when I drive around, if we go through whatever city, I'm like, oh, I played there and there and there in the city. But if someone said, what's big in the city? What are they known for? What's their industry? I have no idea. But I could tell you what the stage are, you know, what the stage was like, where the inputs are, who the sound man was. Um, so it's changed over the years. Before it used to be, right? We were younger. So we would go out to a pub in the area and we would do our thing and then show up to the show. And it was kind of a party thing for a bit. But then now it's it's enjoyable. I'm in a position now where I travel uh, with my wife. Nice. And we have our show and we have our load in and our tear out. But beforehand, like we'll go explore the city. 
we'll, we'll yeah. go check it out, see what it has, you know, and it's just more of a travel vacation, but there's a show at night, right? Um, but I do know back in the grueling days, yeah, like getting a, a 4 p.m. slot on a festival isn't fun, man. You know, it's it's a good time on stage. You're like, yeah, there it is. But uh, like opening up for Kiss in 2010, it, we thought that was wow. going to be amazing. Yeah, but it wasn't. <laughs> you know, you went, you did it. Some of the crowd was there. It was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Kiss in L.A., they hadn't even flown to Canada yet. You know? No way, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like flying, everything set up. They do the thing, go home. But we weren't allowed backstage during that time. And like all oh, the opening what? bands. Oh, no, man. Not with them. All the other bands that we've done, it's been really good. But no, with Kiss, it's like as soon as you're done, you get your gear, you go, you're off, you're out of that back area. Yeah, they wouldn't. Oh, that's such a shame. Yeah, so you get Russell. excited and you pump it up and you tell everyone, right? They're like, oh, are you going to get a picture with Gene? You're like, I hope so. You know, all those things, but it doesn't happen. So there's some yeah. there's some letdowns. There's been things on, on going on the road, man, driving five hours to a pub. And oh, sorry, we're double booked. We're using this band uh, because they have a following. Yeah. That's outrageous. Oh, it's crazy. And they're like, well, but we, we need the gas money. You know, We just drove here. You know, we're in our 20s. Um, this is challenging. What do we do now? Is you got to wait a night. And, what, and a lot of those bars back in the day, but when you played, if it was a bar on a strip there or whatever, they would have like accommodations for the bands up top. Right, so they would have a room. Now it would just be a mattress on the floor. I'm not talking anything. <laughs> yeah, mattress like, on the we got accommodation. And it's like running water and no sheets or anything, right? But it, you know, at that age, you just yeah. you didn't care. You were on the road. But if you didn't play that bar, you didn't get that room. So there, there's been those over the years too, right? It just stuff like that always just outrages me. Like I, I saw, um, I recently watched the anvil documentary are you familiar with the band anvil yeah so for those who don't know anvil i'll give a quick synopsis uh thrash metal band right at the early era of thrash metal um the beginning of the documentary uh, because i think the documentary was filmed around 06 07 and people liken it to being like the real life still panther Uh, not still panther sorry real life um uh, spinal tap that's the one they are Canadian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Spinal Tap is the most famous mockumentary of all time. People thought it was real when it first came out. It's hilarious. It's, for anyone who's ever been in a band or been a musician, if you haven't seen Spinal Tap, go watch it. You will find stuff in there that will just resonate, and you'll be like, yes, this is exactly what it's like being in a band. Obviously, it's over the top and ridiculous, but it's there. Anvil is like almost the real life version of that but in a kind of sad tragic way mm-hmm. um and it's it's confusing because very talented band um they were like the arguably the template for like fresh metal in the very very early days we're talking like uh, 83 something like that mm-hmm. um and there's this joke that a lot of the bands that went off and became big kind of said that like what happened was Anvil set the template, everyone ripped them off, and then everyone else became successful and they didn't. But they had every reason to be successful. Mm. And there was no reason they shouldn't have been, right? And in in this particular documentary, Lemmy is is interviewed and he says that um Lemmy of Motorhead, he cool. says that, you know, that they had all the factors and everything there. It's just that, you know, right band, wrong time. And sometimes yeah. it is just being in the right place at the right time. And so that that that's kind of the beginning of the documentary. It throws you in, and and you see um, the lead singer is is working a, a pretty tough day job. Um, and then you know at night he gets to you know perform these gigs, 
keep doing the show. It's it's obviously twenty years later, um, and it kind of this documentary kind of follows them fly on the wall, and it shows everything from them getting to record a new album overseas to them doing like a mini European tour, and it's ah, oh, it's so painful. And there, there's a moment. This is why I wanted to bring this up, where they go play a show, and um, this guy refuses to pay them. And they've just played the show. And he has to like, he's threatening the guy. Yeah. It throws him up against a wall. And he's like, give me my fucking money. You know, like what, what the hell is this? And it's the guy just never pays him. And it's crazy. And and a lot of people comment on that band that, you know, this is a band that has played for, you know, in front of thousands of people and should be playing in front of thousands of people. But yeah. sometimes they're lucky if they can play in front of five people. And it's, yeah. but like the one thing that, that kind of stood out for me was that, the lead singer and the rest of the band are very passionate about it. And for them, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, of course they want to have like thousands of people there, but they're still very passionate about what they do. And for them, it's just getting to do that. And there are some like hardcore fans who've stuck by the band throughout the years. And they they feel that when they go see them live, like if a band's like, Oh, there's only five people here. Let's just half-ass this. No, never. Never. Right, yeah, but that's that's an attractive quality for a fan to be like, oh my, they gave it. Like there was only fifty of us here, but they gave it their all, and, and that's that's a really good thing. I used to know their light guy, Gus. I forget his last name, but he used to do a venue somewhere in London, London, Ontario. Um, Gus something, but he he would always talk about Anvil for a while. They would want just white lights. They took all the gels out, those old school cans, right? The the really hot ones that on small stages they'd be right here and they melt the side of your face. Mm. But they took out the gels and they did all white. But he was an incredible lighting guy. I just can't remember the venue, but uh, yeah, just it's all coming back to me now with the Anvil dudes. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. And then they kept going after that, but it was yeah. I don't know a, a very interesting um, documentary, I think, yeah. and. Um, yeah just being in a band man it's it's not easy it's not what you think it is it's fun it's great but it's tough (laughs) sometimes nowadays back then people would be in one band only typically right a lot of the musicians Mm. i know that are out there playing multiple bands now which can be a logistic issue at times with scheduling but what i find is like going up and doing you know, gelatin skeleton where I get to shred a little bit and turn up a Marshall and have some fun with overdrive and feedback like that. Ah, it feels good to get that out. But then I do the acoustic stuff too, like John Millis and I are putting out some original music. Um, And then there's a nice melodic acoustic stuff. And then ABBA's a little bit of that electric clean. You know, so it's every spectrum I get a chance to do a little bit of this uh, with, because if it was only ABBA or only the gelatin, you know, like, I would be craving all that other stuff to do, right? Like it's it's a really, it's made me better as a player to play different styles. You know, I teach as well, and I get guys coming in, real metalheads, and uh, they don't want to learn a country lick. And I'm like, I understand you don't like country, you should learn it. You oh know? yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 the that see this is the thing about about being a musician as well, like I because. I grew up same way, you know, elitist and all that, like, no, 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 it's got to be as fast yeah. as possible. It's got to be this, that, yeah. and the other. Yeah, and yeah, then when you start, that's the thing. And then you start sitting and studying the craft and you realize music is the big tree where everything is interconnected. And like, yeah. you know, like the metal comes from the blues. Like, you know, um, you look at all your favorite metal bands, even, you know, like Black Sabbath or something like that. It's all pentatonic scales. It all comes from the blues scales. Um, it's all interconnected. 
yeah. you know like country music is a, I, I don't know how you couldn't be a fan of country music it's incredible just anything like say. even even country players that don't like metal like i don't want to learn that i'm like well there's some stuff in there you might want to yeah just, it doesn't mean you have to like it but just just learn it even jazz like jazz is not oh. a lifetime for me like i i don't understand those players i wish i could but when i hear it i i'm i respect it because i know the 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 level of commitment it would take to get to that level it, it took me a while with jazz but i gotta say give it some time you'll find some yeah. like i'm i'm just getting into it now after years yeah, of being yeah, like yeah. oh that's your world that's not mine but now it's like yeah i like listening to it but the chord voicings okay, if you're yeah. a rock guy you know if you're like dream theater and play which is intricate tricky very challenging stuff jazz is just that your hands aren't used to playing those chords they're very uh mm whole nother level a whole nother world but it's Absolutely. fun yeah yeah okay what advice do you think you could give to aspiring musicians based on your years of expertise and everything you've kind of gone through over the years what mm. sort of sticks out for you well keep playing continue to play don't listen to what other people what other people say about your music if it's originals it doesn't matter it's just how you feel. If you think it sounds good, then it is good to you, right? Don't don't listen to anybody say, oh, it needs this, it needs that. You know, it just just be yourself completely. And if you want to be a working musician that plays in multiple acts, just be humble. Leave the ego at the door. Don't, <laughs> don't have an attitude. There's so many people that you see that don't play in bands that are very, very talented. There's a reason. You know, if you're very humble and you just show up and play the part and do your thing and do it, you know, it's... It's more of a personality thing to, for a connection because it is a it's a network, it's a it's a it's a family of people. And if you're known as that guy that's a person that's very difficult to deal with, a lot of doors close. Yeah. So I think staying humble, uh, and the big thing is is be a lifelong lesson. Don't say, uh, "Yeah, man, I've been playing metal for twenty years. I got that down." No, you don't. <laughs> I guarantee you don't. And if you think you do, man, call me and we'll we'll talk about a few other things that, uh, you know, there's just the best players in the world still practice and still have instructors. You know, they go, John Mayer still goes to guitar lessons. Wow, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, man. Yeah, he goes, I forget the guy's name. He's all over YouTube. Um, yeah, like and everyone you talk to is just... Uh, you know, Paul Gilbert still still receives lessons. You know, he still goes. Oh, Gilbert, really? Yeah, man. Oh, madness. He's not done learning, right? Yeah. And that's that's why when you hear, look at Ian Thornley uh, from Big Rec. Are you familiar with this band, Big Rec? Can't say it, so no. Check them out, dude. We got they're from Canada. A couple of the guys oh. are from the states too, but Ian Thornley is the guitar player, and he's one of the few musicians in my lifetime when I listen to the next album you hear a progression, you hear something new, you hear something fresh, but he just, and his first album is incredible. He just keeps growing as a player and he's been playing forever, but he's just continuously evolving, uh, learning new things. And his phrase, you'll hear one of his solos. You know how you hear ACDC? Oh yeah, that's major pentatonic, that's minor pentatonic. They might switch to a mixolydian mode, whatever. You hear Aaron's, you're like, or Ian's, you're like, what is that? What, what scale is that? You know, it's all of them. He just takes everything and just, oh, he's, or Guthrie Govin, right? Do you know him as a player? I, no, I can't say that I do. Uh, dude, that, that, that's, that's another next level stuff, right? Like, these players are just people that, 
blow my mind. I don't understand, you know, how they do what they do. But yeah, so my advice would be to be a lifelong student. Always continue to learn. Practice as much as you can. And uh, just be humble. Great advice. Thank you so much. Uh, a couple yeah. of final questions for you, completely unrelated to what we've spoken to today. Yeah, yeah. I always ask my guests these questions. What's the best advice you've ever received? Hmm. As a guitar player? In life. Well, I'm going to tell you the guitar player one because it's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guitar player one was when I was 19, 20, 21. Try to play as many notes as I possibly could in this little thing. There was a guy um, in a studio that said, have you ever listened to a saxophone player? Mm. And I was like, well, yeah, but not like I've never studied it. He goes, listen to them. Every once in a while, they have to take a breath. Right? He goes, if you bring that into your guitar playing, and that's as soon as I he said that, I thought of David Gilmore, Eric Clapton, BB um, King, Buddy Guy, all these guys that play beautiful lick, and then they'd be backing off. Play it again, right? Even some of the stuff I love, like Petrucci's, you know, it does it. Um, but just that advice musically is, hey, every once in a while, take a little note. Sometimes the the space between the notes is just as important as the notes. I'll add to this as well, um, because, well, a couple of things. One, Petrucci, yeah, incredible um, lightning speed mm. player, but at the same time, um, he he, play, he plays to the song. It, it makes sense within the context of what he's doing. Lars Ulrich, Metallica drummer, once famously said, I play to the song, I play for the song. And I think that is always key. And for any musician, if you're in a band and you're, you know, maybe you're concerned like, oh, what I play, maybe it's not technical enough, maybe it's not this, maybe it's not that. It doesn't matter how technical the stuff is. You know, sure, you can add that in sometimes, but what's always going to matter most is what makes sense in that song, in that Certain moment. Yeah. yeah. 100%. You have, you have your moments where like it's, maybe it's one whole big jam session, maybe it's, you know a, a grand performance whatever um but i think yeah i think pink floyd is a really good example of this because often in in the incredible guitar solos that they have it's been building up to that moment mm. you know or there's you know elements where it's grand and all over the place and then other moments where it's soft and calm and relaxed and it's, numb. perfect example yeah this is exactly what i was thinking yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, um, it's, it's that the the whole of um shine on your crazy diamond part one just the build and everything in that is just yeah a, a journey that's what it should be it should be a journey it Music takes should you be a journey yeah right yeah that's what people want. but the best advice i think outside of music would be um my out my outer experiences are a perfect reflection of my internal condition so if I'm good on my in, if I'm good inside, things on the outside are pretty good. If I'm not good on the inside, well, guess what? Things are not going to be good on the outside. So my internal condition, if I'm at peace inside, 
my outside is at peace as well. So it all starts, and that's why, not to bring music back in, my one instrumental um, that I released, it's called Within. There's no lyrics, it's just a guitar instrumental. I've got Forrest from Big Rack and Gary from Honeymoon Suite uh, played bass on it. Um, that within just means everything's within. I used to ask people questions all the time about, you know, not music related. Um, and they say, you have the answer, it's inside you, it's within. And if you don't go within, you go without. So those are two of the biggest things that I, you know, my outer experiences are a perfect reflection of my internal condition. Absolutely brilliant. Another another question for you, similar yeah. vein, but slightly different approach. What's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far? I think I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Me too, buddy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Big yeah. time. So, Every time I, I think I, I know it, I know nothing. Like what you said before about when you yeah. think you know it and then you know nothing. Dude, yeah. that, that with everything. <laughs> Right? It's just, yep. yeah, sometimes we think we're in the basement, right? I want to learn how to play guitar and go up the stairs. Okay, I've, I've learned guitar. I'm like, no, you're just on the first floor. Yeah. This is a high rise, right? Um, but yeah, I'm still learning. I think uh, if you looked over here, I've got a bunch of music books and theory books, but beside that, it's a bunch of self-help and spiritual books, right? Cool. Uh, a lot of personal growth that I've needed to do over the years. Hmm. Um, and uh it's been a process, but I, I think just living in the moment, right? Like that whole power of now thing is huge for me. Uh, so the biggest life le lesson is not thinking about yesterday, last week, last month, five years ago. That's that's some negative energy, it could be. And not worrying about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, that's an anxiety and, and stress and everything. But being like the only moment that matters is right now, you and I are talking right now and everything's good right now, right? We are completely in the moment right now, and, uh, and that would be my life lesson. Just live right in the moment, and then when that moment passes, you're in the next moment. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, I'm going through a bit of a difficult time in my life right now, and okay, uh, it's like I remember I was, I was doing a live stream earlier today, and I was saying, oh, yeah, I was looking forward to doing the show, and you know, pe people people would say in response to what you what you say you say yeah, i'm going through a difficult time they say i hope it gets better and i'm like so do i um but yeah when i whenever i do anything in my life i'm all in 100 mm -hmm. same with you i'm right here in this moment with you and i'm thinking yeah. about how amazing it is that i get to have these conversations with people across the world in a completely yeah. different place different different time zone different um ages uh, ref frames of reference everything it, every single time i do this i absolutely love it and i'm reminded why i do this and why um this show why i started to be honest um this, we, i mean that we're over 200 episodes at this point and it's oh good for you man thank you it's it's yeah, um it's a real kind of um uh, it's a journey yeah, there journey. you go it's coming back right yeah yeah. yeah, and you're you're being consistent, right? I know a lot of people that start podcasts and they'll do five or ten episodes, and then say, "Yeah, they stop." Just keep doing it. If you love, I can tell by your face you love doing this, right? Just continue to do that. And uh, I worked in a factory for 21 years, brother. You know, 21 years, and, and it just sucked the soul out of you. And, and I got grateful for the wages I earned, and I had a family, and it provided me with all those things. 
but I was a musician at heart in a factory 12 hours a day with all of this creative stuff going on in my head and it didn't get used, you know? And I thought in that moment it would never happen. I would get glimpses of, oh, I can go on tour for, you know, a week or two or I can record something and, and, and you go back to the factory. But I put myself into a position where enough people told me to follow my bliss, follow your dreams, follow your passion. I do that now. And now it's, it's, it's a full-time thing. There's no factory that I step into anymore. You know. Incredible stuff, man. Yeah, um, man. Another final question for you. Well, yeah. final, final, final question. Okay. <laughs> yeah. right uh, do, you, do you have any upcoming projects or some final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, yeah, man. I'm super excited about uh, uh, John Mills is my best buddy um, back home. And uh, we had, we've performed as a duo for years and years and years, but we started to write some songs. We just released one called Moment in Time uh, a little while ago. And, it, you know, it, it did pretty good right out of the gates. And we're just really excited um, as we've got a bunch of other originals that we just never, for whatever reason, we didn't record them or whatever. But uh, we're starting to do that now with uh, Randy, Ord, Randy Orr, good buddy of mine here in Brockville. And um, uh, so we're going to get those in order. I've got another song coming up where... I've asked Kelly Heenan, an incredible rock singer here from uh, uh, in Ontario, and uh, Darren Smith from Harem Scarum is going to play on drums, and uh, we're going to piece together this song, and uh, I'm very excited about that. So there's a lot of stuff coming out here shortly, and uh, a lot of touring coming up, a lot of live shows. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm most excited for is to get this music out with John, and because and it's ours, right? It's just the two of us, and we've got a great connection. We're like brothers. The chemistry we talked about earlier is there it's been there since day one the journey we've been on together he's he's my closest friend and now we get to produce this music together and release it and you can hear the uh, the connection in the music i think with this there's no there's no void there between uh, john and i it's just here we are and people that have seen us a lot over the years uh when they hear this i think it's it's just special that we get a chance to do this at this time it's just the right time to do it awesome man um, I wish you the very best with all of that. And it's been Thank an absolute you, pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. If we, uh, if we end up in Manchester, I'll shoot you a little email there. Yes, please do. I would, I would love to see you. Uh, cool, before. man. Right on. And uh, to all the listeners of the Christian Marie podcast, as always, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.